This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome into the Salt City Hoops show. You're listening to ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. We are the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. As always, I got Ben Dowsett on the other side of the table. Ben, how are you doing tonight? I am excellent, Andy. How are you? I am stellar. So Stellar. Stellar, yes. Key vocab word of the day. I guess it's not a, that hard of a vocab word, but regardless. <laughs> uh, we're coming at you on a Tuesday night because this Thursday, Utah... Uh, basketball has a game at this time. I believe it's at 8 p.m. actually, but um, they'll they be playing? doing their pregame ahead of time. Not sure on that, um, but I can, I can get that to you later. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're going today talking about the Utah Jazz and the NBA, and, and there's a lot to talk about from uh, the nine-point loss last night to the Boston Celtics to the, the Clippers coming up, and then there's a lot of stuff going on around the NBA too from the All-Star rosters. There were a lot of uh, announcements with, the dunk contest, the three-point contest today. So I, I want to get through it through one of our, our classic triple teams, if you will, the, the three-man weave that we do, uh, getting to the three points of the day. Before we, I get we into have a it, monopoly. Though, we have a monopoly on that term when baseball isn't playing, when there's no baseball <laughs> going on. Like, I, I, Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, before I get into it, though, I want to announce our guests. We've got some uh, two cool guests today, too. We've got Seth Partnow. Uh, he's on the Washington Post Fancy Stats blog as well as Nylon Calculus. He'll be joining us at 7.30 talking about the Jazz, kind of getting a national perspective on, on how the Jazz are doing from, from a statistical analytical point of view. And then at 8 o'clock, we've got the ESPN 700 favorite as well as Deseret News beat writer for the Utah Jazz, Jody Genesee, joining us for some analysis and laughs as well. So it's going to be a good show, Ben. I'm very, very stoked. Both of our guests are people I really enjoy talking to for, for different, entirely different reasons, too. So it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Well, let's, let's get into it. And the first thing is last night's game. So, I mean, obviously another time where the Jazz get out to one of these terrible first-half deficits. 24 points the deficit was at halftime. And the Jazz just couldn't score. And then in that second quarter, they allowed uh, Boston to score 38 points on the other end. What were your thoughts before I get into mine? Well, I think most of my thoughts can be summed up really well by your excellent written triple team from last <laughs> night, which, by the way, if you guys didn't check that out, you should go check it out. You always write good stuff, but I think that was one of my favorite, and I think a lot of people's favorite ones in a while. It was really good. And he basically charted out all of the defensive possessions that the Jazz played in that ha in the, that second quarter. And some of them were luck, as you noted. Some of them were just guys. Tayshaun Prince made a couple absolutely ridiculous yeah, shots. Yeah, Tayshaun Prince is not that good of a shooter. He was four for six in that second quarter. And honestly, like... There was this crazy fadeaway with Gordon Hayward right in his grill that, like, Tayshaun Prince has never made in his career. I have no idea why he was taking that shot. Then he makes these two threes that, again, Tayshaun Prince, not a stellar three-point shooter, not a guy who you consider a weapon. And, in fact, I thought that Ty Corbin was actually trying to help away from him because he is such a non-shooter and mean then Quinn, got burned. You meant Quinn Snyder, right, when you just said, said Ty Corbin just now? Yes, I, that's the second time <laughs> I've done this this season. But, yes, Quinn Snyder. I, I thought that's what he was trying to do, and, and I thought it burned him a little bit. A little bit, but I'll be completely honest. I was more 
at when in the moment at least I was more frustrated at what the Jazz were doing offensively in that quarter than what at what they were doing defensively. And I think they ended up, if I'm not mistaken, they ended up scoring 24 points themselves in that in that quarter. No, or, only 14. Oh, it was only, oh well. Excuse me. Then I am justified for what I was just saying. <laughs> I and that was a problem that I thought spanned a lot of the first half, and then again some for some of the fourth quarter when Bo- you know Boston kind of let their guard down there in the third a little bit, but then in the fourth when they kind of got it back up. This, and this is a recurring issue that I think we've seen with the Jazz a couple of times. Teams like the way Boston played last night with a really aggressive defensive scheme have really been throwing them off their game. Teams are getting to the spots that they know the Jazz want to get to, and we've talked about how the Jazz have only installed the sort of the base level of the motion offense so far, and they've and I've talked in the last couple of weeks about how they're they're adding a little bit of variation here and there that I really enjoy. We all know I love counters, but. <laughs> Boston was sitting on everything the Jazz wanted to get to last night. They were doing what we call the high hedge, which is where the big man jumps out at the pick and roll to blitz the ball handler. Trey Burke and Dante Exum just were lost when that was happening to them. Both guys, uh, Exum especially, unfortunately. He had one of his worst games of the season last night. And I think that it's an issue going forward. I wrote about it in my recap after the game that the Jazz need to look at what you do when teams are doing that to you. There are things you can do. You can have your big slip your screen a little quicker, which means he doesn't actually stay long enough to set the actual pick and make contact. Rather, he slips towards the basket sooner as soon as he sees the opposing big about to jump out. And that way, if you can get the ball to him, you're going to have a four-on-three situation coming in the other side. The Jazz uh, haven't really kind of uh, found that little play just yet they haven't found the outlets that you go to when they're trying to trap your ball handlers up high and it's resulting in a lot of actions but not a lot of positive actions because not much is happening do you you, did you see any of that yourself yeah basically I I think they're like too afraid to they don't have the shooters really to take advantage of some of those four on three situations Mm -hmm. so that you know that's something that you'd like to see and and they don't have kind of the the ball handlers the the play creator types to deal with that unless Gordon Hayward has the ball and that's why the difference between when Gordon Hayward was on the floor, Jazz were minus 22 last night. When he was on the floor, they were plus 13. Is when when the ball was in his fan and uh, when in his hands, excuse me, the Jazz were fine. It's when he was off the floor, they couldn't get it to him that they really, really struggled. Yeah, and with a system like the one, the motion system you're trying to institute, that's not long term. That's not going to be viable. You have to have multiple guys that can make things happen with the ball. That doesn't mean you have to have multiple stars who can get their own hoop every time, but you have to have guys that are capable of making the smart play when defenses adjust to what you want to do. Which is, we saw Boston come in last night, and, and all credit to Brad Stevens, who, by the way, is an absolute joy to talk to. He, the guy is so smart. He did his homework. They came in prepared. They came in ready for what the Jazz wanted to do and took it away from them, and they did a great job. It's it's worth pointing out that they have three wins on this West Coast trip that mm. they've been they've been on over the last. And they almost they stuck with Golden State yeah. for the entire game. And, and Golden State is the league's best team, so I think a lot of fans looked at this as as a letdown game. As you know, how can you win the games the Jazz have won in the last month and then lose to the Boston Celtics, mm-hmm. who you know have a worse record at home, et cetera, et cetera. But the Celtics are playing really well right now, despite almost not having very much talent at all. I mean, we talked about it yesterday. Their roster is a little bit goofy with, you know, bits of Tayshaun Prince here, bits of Golden, uh, Gerald Wallace there. You know, it, it's kind of a mishmash of, like, different ideas and mm-hmm. trade pieces. But 
right now, Brad Stevens has him playing really well. He's doing such a good job. You know, he actually commented post-game last night that he thought about going 12 deep at one point during that third quarter when the Jazz were making that big comeback. I mean, he is literally just piecing together a patchwork team there, and they played great last night. The Jazz played a bad game, but frankly, Boston was all over them, and Boston forced a lot of it, I thought. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. So then, what I guess, what do you make of, of their third quarter comeback then, that they were able to get that lead from 24 all the way down to four just in that third quarter alone. I mean, to me, again, that shows heart. It's it's easier to make a comeback from 24 to four than it is to, I think, get that lead in the first place. Agreed. Because teams, you know, teams turn it off a little bit when they're up 24. I, there's no question. Uh, but that being said, I, I thought the hustle and the effort defensively was good, especially from Joe Ingles, I thought was great. He had four steals in last night's game. Def- and I think three of them were in like, what, a 45-second period in that <laughs> yeah. third quarter or something like that. So, yeah, he play- He made an impact defensively. I, I thought that uh, a lot of it during that run, though, I would chalk up to just Gordon kind of took over for a second there. Ca- and Cantor had a good quarter as well. He had a, a pretty decent second half overall, actually, I thought. He and Gordon trying to kind of tried to spearhead the comeback a little bit. But you get down 24 points, that's just... That's a little too much almost always. They almost made it, but it's really hard to come back to catch a team yeah. with their pants down for that long <laughs> to come back from 24. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I mean, the Jazz played both good offense and good defense in that quarter, winning that quarter 35 to 16. That would have been amazing, except, you know, they had lost the previous quarter by 24. It's just, it's, it's too much. It's, it's something that you just can't come back from in the NBA. Yeah. Um, I thought Ennis Cantor had a good game last night. Uh, 10 of 16 from the field, scored 20 points. Uh, Gordon Hayward, I thought, had a good game, as we previously mentioned. 26 points on 17 shots. Uh, and I, I thought it was interesting how Quinn Snyder, after the game, said, guys can force you to play them. And I thought Ennis Cantor did that tonight with his effort and energy. That's not something we've seen from Ennis Cantor a, a lot this season. Definitely. He was active, especially offensively. He was taking, he was looking for his post position as frequently as possible, especially when he could get guys with one foot in the paint. I was impressed with how he looked last night. He did make a couple of somewhat glaring defensive errors, but I guess that's kind of part of the territory at this <laughs> yeah, point that, with him. Yeah, that's the Ennis Cantor trade-off. You, yeah. you, get, you get the brilliance, and then you get a couple lows uh, along with Sida. Mm-hmm. I, I also want to talk about the, the point guard situation with the Utah Jazz. We talked about this a lot on last week's show. With Trey Burke, that was actually Dante's first game as a starting point guard, Trey Burke being moved to the bench. Uh, since then, Trey Burke's done a good job scoring. I, I don't think there's any doubt. He's, he's shot the ball relatively well and has put up a lot of points. Dante Axum was shooting well for the first two games, then put up zero points on two shots, only two assists last night. Uh, I mean, what do you make of this situation? I just, I really think that it's a temporary thing for Dante, I think, and I, I but it exposed some of his, what we've been talking about vaguely, that he's, in terms of the speed of the game and his, his acumen, if you will, for the game, he's still a little bit behind, and when Boston was throwing multiple guys at him coming around screens and everything, his only response to that was to back up and reset or to throw a bad pass and create a turnover. And he's he's just not quite at the level. And I don't think we can necessarily expect him to be at the age he's at no. and at the level of competition he's played at before. On the flip side, he, he didn't, he didn't do anything besides score points last night. If you look at Trey's box score, there were there was literally nothing else. Yeah, in. it was it was twenty points, zero rebounds, zero assists, zero steals, zero blocks, zero turnovers. Yeah, he did pick up a foul, and he didn't even <laughs> get he didn't take any free throws either. No. So, right. but that said, overall in the three games since he's been coming off the bench, I've I've thought he's been excellent in that role. I think that he's I think that it's accomplished what Quinn and not last night so much, but 
accomplish what Quinn has been looking for with it, which is specifically to juice those second units because they just don't have anybody that can create off the bounce. And whether or not he's a world beater at that and your opinions may differ depending on whether you're related to him or not, the, <laughs> I, I think that... I, that that was sly right there. It was, right? I see what you did right there. It was there. pretty good, right? <laughs> um, by the way, NBA.com tracks assist chances, just so we know. Uh, the... Whether or not you think he's awesome at that, he's better at it, better better at it than anybody else they had doing it at the time. He's certainly better off creating his own offense than Dante is right now, and I think it fits a little better with the second unit. Yeah, no, I I think I I agree. I, I think Trey Burke. I, I think Trey Burke is a better player right now, but he's a better player in that he's taking these shots. Basically, that's his offensive value right now. He's not been a playmaker as evidenced by the zero assist last night, um, and it's not like Dante has been either, but. Trey Burke clearly gives something the sec- to the second unit that they don't have right now, which is just scoring. Mm-hmm. And the front unit of Cantor, Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors can get that in, in other ways. I agree. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to point two. I, I, well done on the, on the Boston recap. Yeah, thank you. Um, let's move on to point two, which is our all-star selection. So yes. It's, it's NBA all-star ballot time. The, obviously, the starters were announced last week. Now it's the time for the coaches from around the league to decide the backups, the reserves. Uh, and, and remember, this is important because not only do they get to take place, uh, take part in an exhibition contest uh, in February, but they also, February 15th, by the way, but they also generally get a bonus for being in the All-Star game as well. So like, this is a big deal for some of these players' contracts, uh, some of these players' extensions. It's a huge deal for Kyrie Irving specifically, by the way. Yes. And the Cavaliers. Well, actually, I think isn't it? Or no, because it was a starter. starter. That's right. So never mind. But it's it not. is a big deal for a lot of other players' contracts, whether or not they're an all-star or not. And plus, you get more endorsements and whatever else. So mm-hmm. you put together your picks for the Western and Eastern Conference All-Stars. I did. Let's hear them. Now, as you will remember if you listened last week, I don't enjoy fan voting, so I went <laughs> ahead and made my own 12-man rosters, including the starters, and I want to explain my methodology super quickly. So I, no Kobe Bryant. No Kobe Bryant. He didn't make the team. I you I pick my 12 most deserving players based on the criteria that, they, that we have to use in terms of uh, backcourt players and frontcourt players that the NBA requires. Right. And then I decide who my five starters are going to be based on what I think would actually be the best hypothetical basketball team okay. if you were trying to win actual basketball games. So when Steve Kerr is trying to win the All-Star game exactly. That's February that. 15th, 16th. And yeah. Yes. So in the West, my starters, I have Steph Curry. I have a little bit of a surprise. I am starting Damian Lillard. I am. Yes. And I am doing something Sort of like what our friend Zach Lowe did in his picking the All-Stars this uh, this morning, but he actually did it in the Eastern Conference where he sort of slipped Jimmy Butler in as a front court player because he wanted Jimmy Butler to be starting. That makes sense. I'm doing that in the West with James Harden because I want James Harden to be starting, and I think he's close to big enough that he could start at a three, yeah. nominally start yeah, at a three. I so I'm okay. putting Harden in as my three, and then my two actual bigs are going to be Anthony Davis and Marc Gasol. Ooh. And for the remainder of the roster, I have LaMarcus Aldridge, I have Chris Paul, I have Blake Griffin, I have Russell Westbrook, I have Clay Thompson, I have Dwight Howard, and Gordon Hayward. You have the G-Man himself. I ha- and it's, you know it's what, it's a homer G-time. pick, and I, I readily admit, it's a homer pick. There are guys you could easily go with over him. Durant would be a main one. Dur- I, I do tend to agree with those saying that I you just— You picked Gordon Hayward over Kevin Durant. Uh, in, uh, with a lot of context involved, I think that Kevin Durant missed a little bit too much time to have the award. And ha- he's been great since he's been back. 
I just think he he I mean he's missed basically over half the year up until this point and I I just don't I think you reward guys that have played the entire year despite that because when you're talking about bringing value to your team there's only so much value you can bring if you've missed half the season yeah meanwhile Gordon Hayward's played every game mm-hmm. uh, all 45 yeah and although I think there are besides Durant there are other guys you could replace Hayward with but I am a homer, and I think that he warrants consideration. Okay, let's let's hear. I want to hear the Gordon Hayward All Star case though for for a few seconds. Absolutely. I mean, I I think if you talk about when you're talking about value brought to a team, that we just talked about how the there are a lot of situations where the Jazz are just useless without Gordon Hayward. You look at the on and off court splits, the way the Jazz just completely crater when Gordon leaves the court. They're they're extremely incapable when he's not, especially offensively when he's not on the court. He's improved his shooting over last year despite increasing his usage, I think, at least recently it was an increased usage over last year. He's he's doing everything on the court, and I think his defense has been much improved on last year as well, even though, as we've said before, that's tough to separate from the team construct all the time. I do think he's improved, and Quinn was actually talking about that last night as well, how his, his play off the ball defensively has improved as well. Yeah, I, I think there's some good arguments for Gordon Hayward. I mean, he's he's up there in terms of plus-minus. He's he does score 19 points a game. He does assist and rebound and do other things for their team. He's a relatively good defender. I I just don't think that the Jazz have the win loss record to justify, get, you know, not including some of the guys that you didn't include, like a Demarcus Cousins. Well, but I mean, the Jazz have the same number of wins as Sacramento. Sure, but I mean, I think Demarcus Cousins has been a demonstrably better player. I, I think yeah. maybe maybe he's been hurt for some. And of he that. missed the time. So, so yeah, if it was really close. I th- and as anyone who's making these ballots for themselves will tell you, the West is unbelievably impossible, and you're leaving somebody out who's deserving, no matter what. There's no way not to. So it's a bit of a homer pick, but I think it's also extremely defensible. I, I mean, I think it would be fun. We know at least Doc Rivers is voting for Gordon Hayward. <laughs> because Doc Rivers loves Gordon Hayward more than more than anybody. More than Gordon Hayward's wife, I think Doc Rivers likes Gordon Hayward. Yep, yep. So, who knows? I doubt he makes the real team. I, I yeah. would say it's highly doubtful because I expect Durant will. And then from there, it's you, you, that's one less spot. And a lot of the guys that I said before him are pretty much sure things. So, there you go. Let, you want to move on to the East? Yeah, let's do the East. All right, quick. in the East, the starters. I have John Wall. I have Kyle Lowry. I have LeBron. I have, and then I have two Hawks. I have Millsap and Horford as your t- as the two nominal bigs there. Okay. And for the remainder of the roster, I have Jimmy Butler. I have Jeff Teague. I have Kyle Korver. So I did include the four Hawks, like several other people did. Nice. I have Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Greg Monroe, and Kyrie Irving. Uh, those last two. I wish I could just take players from the West and put them in instead. Honestly, maybe even the last three. Like, I think huh. DeMarcus Cousins deserves to be an all-star more than Chris Bosh does this year. Yeah, I think that's But they play in different conferences, and that's just how it is. And, oh, gosh, that the end of that roster for the East is not that strong in terms of their actual all-star candidacy. I think there's a couple other guys you could make cases for. Those are the guys I went with because... Because. <laughs> that's my reason. <laughs> because it's too hard not to. So, yeah. Uh, I'm... Uh, what are your first couple of snubs there from the East? Um, I mean, the a couple of the guys that I mean, Pau Gasol is one. Yeah, that was the one that came I think to mind he's super. Me. I just think his stats are empty. I think his stats are incredibly empty. I, I watch him, and I'm not. I don't see the impact that he's making all the time. And you could totally make that case for Monroe though too. So I know that's yeah. a flawed argument. Um. And then who is the other one that uh, that is a tough case there? I think Nick Vucevic. Okay. Um, but his, I mean, the, the record that they've got, I just didn't feel too good about it. Yeah, to me, I think Vucevic has some of the same issues as Hayward. 
in in the other conference where he's you know on a bad team, but is clearly the most impactful player for that roster. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's interesting to see how that works out. Okay, let's let's we again not a lot of time, but rookie sophomore game. I was asked for the for Clipper blog, the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Los Angeles Clippers, whether or not more or the over under for number of Jazz players on in this rookie sophomore game, two and a half. I think you that's think a, that's a good it? set, and I I think there's a chance that three make it. The two fringe guys are going to be Trey Burke and Joe Ingles because I think that both Gobert and Exum for that international team are going to be near locks. Yeah, Rudy Gobert has the most win shares of any player in either of those two classes, either rookie or sophomore. So I, I think he's clearly in. Mm-hmm. And Dante, and then, I think by name, and because the the international team is a little bit thin at the guard spots. Yeah, that's exactly right. They've only really got Schroeder and Andrew Wiggins there at the guards uh, besides Dante, so I think he gets in. But then on on the other side on for the U.S. team, and remember it's now a U.S. versus world competition. Which so you've is awesome. got 10 guys from the U.S., 10 guys from the rest of the world battling it out despite you know some rookies and sophomores on each team. Uh, the U.S. guards, on the other hand, unlike the world guards, are really good and really deep. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Trey Burke makes it. I don't think he can when you look at – or it's going to be tough at least when you look at Oladipo – Shabazz Muhammad, Alfred Payton, Marcus Smart, Ben McLemore, Justin Holiday. There, there's a lot of guys, that, and that's without, I mean. Contavious Caldwell, Pope, yep, K- Marcus Smart, Alfred Payton, I think you said. Mm-hmm. KJ McDaniels. Yep, I was going to um, say. Ben McLemore. I mean, Tim Hardaway Jr., I was going to mention. He's a tough, it's close between him and Trey, but I mean, that's a lot of guys we just named. Yeah, and he, and he has to beat out probably two or three of those mm-hmm. guys. I, I think you can make a case that all of those have been more impactful on the floor than Trey Burke has been this season. If he makes it, it's probably because of name value and where he was drafted. If he if he makes that team, and then what do you think about Ingles? Do you think that Jingles has a chance at that fourth guard spot for the? Uh... I don't. I I just don't think he. I mean, a. I think it's weird to put in a twenty seven year old rookie in this game anyway. Yeah. Um. And b. I think there's enough other guys on better teams. You know, you could go with like a Costas Papanikolaou. Uh, you could go with Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich. Yeah. I mean, there. Although they're not really better. The Jazz killed that team the other night. Oh but... yeah, no doubt. I mean, but I, I think. I think there are other cases that will make it difficult to go with a guy who wasn't on an NBA roster before three months ago. I'd, I would agree with that, most likely. All right, and I just before we go into break, I want to talk about the third point, which is the Jazz's end of roster stuff. A lot has happened with this this week. So just as a recap, Elijah Millsap, brother of Paul Millsap, Jazz legend. Um, legend. Signed a new three-year deal this year. Uh, sorry, this week. Basically, the way this works is that the first year is guaranteed – the last two years are non-guaranteed. Uh, I don't know at what point the dates are that they have to say that it's non-guaranteed or guaranteed by. You know, There may or may not even be those contract dates. I haven't been able to find that out. But I do know that it is for the minimum throughout, so it's not like this is a big expenditure for the Jazz. I think it's one of those smart calls where basically the Jazz said, hey, uh, you know, we like your guy relatively well, but we want to keep him under wraps for the next three years if he turns out to be a good role player. Yep, exactly. And with the non-guaranteed, if it doesn't work out or somebody else's, the, the, the playing time or the roster spot is needed for someone else, easy enough to cut ties. Yep. On the other hand, uh, Elliot Williams, who was also in his second day, 10-day contract, that ended today. He will not be resigned, as reported actually by the Jazz and Adrian Wojnarowski last night. Uh, uh, 
what did you think about that? Because I think you liked Elliot Williams a little I, bit. Well, I, I liked the potentials, sort of, that I saw in him, but we didn't really see enough time of him to make any concrete judgments. I did think his stroke looked like it was not broken and like it could be okay, and the Jazz do need the shooting from that spot that they're trying to bring in there. Um, but, you know, the Jazz saw way more of him than I did, so I, I trust their judgment on this one. I, I, I can't really criticize based on how, how much I saw. That's fair. He only played about 30 minutes in his time with the Jazz. And then uh, ESPN's Mark Stein announced that, or I guess reported that Chris Johnson uh, from the D-League is the next call-up candidate for the Jazz, or at least the Jazz have their eye on him. That has not been like reported as final or anything else, but it's clear that he's the next candidate. Um, he's a wing from, from the D-League. Decent mid-range, or sorry, decent three-point shooter. Played like 40 uh, games with Boston last year, I think. And has some pretty good length. Yeah, he's. I, I like the length. He's. At, I mean, his three-point shooting is actually mid-30s in the D-League, which usually tends to drop a point or two when you get in the league. And he, sh- he did shoot like 34% from three last year in Boston. I kind of thought they'd go with one of those guys who, because there's a number of guys in the D-League that are shooting like 43% from three in ridiculous yeah. numbers. I thought Seth there was Curry a chance. Yeah. Although example. Seth can't guard all the positions necessarily, which is why or I think any they the were any of the, which is why I think they went with a longer guy like yeah. that. But, um, you know, I again another one where I haven't seen enough of a guy to make any necessary any real concrete criticisms. But uh, we'll see what happens with him. We'll see if he can make an impact. Yeah, no, I, I I'm excited to find out. All right, well, let's go ahead and go to break. But on the other side, we've got uh, Washington Post and Nylon Calculus Seth Partno joining us talking about the Utah Jazz and the NBA. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen. I am Ben Dowsett. I am your co-host, but I am opening this segment. I am here with Andy Larson, who is the host. You can follow me on Twitter and tweet us about the show also at Ben underscore Dowsett or at Andy B. Larson. And now with us, coming to join the program, noted author at such places as the Washington Post, Fancy Stat Blog, Nylon Calculus, BballBreakdown.com, probably like 600 other sites. We've got Seth Part now. <laughs> Seth, are you there? I'm here. How are you doing? I am great, Seth. How are you? Uh, it's, it's okay. It's a, uh, it's a little chilly up in Alaska these days. But, yes. Uh, Seth lives in Alaska. Seth lives in Alaska, guys, and still brings us awesome NBA coverage from all the way up. I didn't even know they got internet up there some of the time, <laughs> so that that's really great of him. Uh, let's jump <laughs> let's jump straight into it. John, my producer, just said something funny into my ear. But, um, Seth, we wanted to get some of your, a little bit of an outsider's analytical perspective, and you're one of the best out there in terms of the Utah Jazz so far this year, both generally and with a little bit of specifics, mainly in terms of development. Do you think this team is on the trajectory that they should be developmentally? And if yes or no, maybe an example or two that you that you think to, to support your answer there. Um, on, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big question to start off with. Yes, on sir. the track, that, that's hard to say. Um, if I was going to be on the negative side, I'd say they have a lot of kind of guys who look like they're NBA-level rotation players. But not necessarily that next level up. And if you know, you've, we've kind of seen that there's sort of a uh, a ceiling on where a team can go. Um, you're thinking of kind of like the the the, the later uh, George Carl Denver Nuggets as a team that has a, a lot of pretty good players, but after after they traded Carmelo, no great players. Now on the other hand, you look at a team like say the Hawks this year, and they've kind of uh, busted that mold. But I think that that comparison. Uh, sort of relies on on 
a great deal of development because you know the 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 Hawks, what with all the talk of them getting four All Stars this year, have players who are individually better than you think. And then you sit down and think about it. It's like actually no, Kyle Korver is really good. Paul Millsap's really good, and so on and so forth. So. Um, Big picture, things to be encouraged about, but no one really breaking out as yet. Aside from maybe, you know, one of our favorites, I think, is Rudy Gobert defensively. Absolutely. And he, what do you, I was going to ask, actually, he was going to be my next question. Now, you keep a stat over at Nylon Calculus about rim protection, which is, uh, and it tracks more than what NBA.com Sport View is, data is tracking, which is they're basically just tracking percentage allowed at the rim, which is, uh, it's within a guy at three feet, right? Uh, it's it's uh, five feet from the basket and, and uh, five feet from the shooter. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. And that's that's by body position, not arm length. So, okay. Uh, um, so with Rudy Gobert, you know, it couldn't that, really mean he's right next to the guy, pretty much, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Okay, so Seth, so Seth keeps these stats, and what you do is you actually go in and you extrapolate by certain extra things that give us more context, like how often they're contesting shots and how uh, – what's the other, the other measure that you use? That you use a time measure, right, like per, per minute rather than just overall, right, because Rudy Gobert's yeah. on the court far less than someone like – like, you know, Roy Hibbert, for example. So, Although Hibbert, Hibbert is actually down to about 25 minutes a game this year. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. yeah. But uh, actually, um, I think that uh, John Schumann at NBA.com wrote, wrote a, a decent piece about this uh, last week. Um, and it's something I've been tracking for a while, but he made the point rather pithily that uh, to protect the rim, you have to be near the rim. And and so that's the the genesis of, of kind of this idea was not just, all right, he blocks everything when he's near the basket. What about all those times where a guy's laying in and he isn't even in the picture? Or, or vice versa, you know, he may not block a shot, but he's always bothering shots and probably gets an extra couple misses a game. Uh, and certainly over the first part of the season, uh, Gobert was, was ri- absolutely ridiculous uh, in terms of, of – being around to, to to bother shots, that's come down a little bit. But he's still one of the best in the league, and uh, at just being around guys who are who are attempting layups against the Jazz, and he's still one of the best in the league at at. I don't want to say forcing misses because that's putting a little too much on the data, but a lot of misses are happening when he's there. I'll put it that way. And I, I guess I don't know that that's a coincidence. <laughs> uh, no, I, I I don't think it is either. But it's it's. Uh, um, you know, I like to be careful, and, and rather than say that, that that you know these two things are are correlated, rather than one is causing the other, just out of an abundance of caution, because otherwise you can you you can talk yourself into into some deep holes by by uh, making statements that that you can't really back up yet. Yeah, so I, I think you know, eye test wise, you can kind of say see yes, uh, Rudy Gobert is changing a lot of shots, but I, I don't want to. Um, you know, state that as a, as a definitive, other than to say, you know, you see the games, you see the numbers. It's probably something going on there. Yeah, I mean that makes a lot of sense. I want to ask what something about you said in the in the first question that you feel like the Jazz have a lot of these kind of like rotation level players, but I mean, I guess you think Derek Favors and uh, Gordon Hayward have made the leap to be kind of those those difference making sort of players. You know, I, I when I look at the stats, I see that they're making a difference in plus minus. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, Derek Favors has taken this efficiency leap. Uh, I mean, I guess do you kind of downplay that. What What are you seeing when you look at those two guys, especially? 
No, there. I, I think they're. You know, certainly Hayward and and I'm. I'm. You know, Favors is a guy I go back and forth on a little bit, but um, you know, they're they're certainly you know good high end rotation players. But again, those Denver teams you're talking about. They had, you know, the, uh, before his knee injury, uh, Gallinari. They had Ty Lawson. They had uh, uh, Andre Iguodala um, kind of before uh, before his athleticism declined to the point where he's now more of a complementary guy in Golden State. Um, so they had these, you know, pretty, you know, these, you know, above average, really good players. And I don't, uh, you know, it's it's the, the the nomenclature of the superstar is is murky, but. Uh, however you define it, they're not quite that yet, and and I don't want to say that puts a, uh, a ceiling on a team, but certainly in a in a salary cap system and for a small market team like the Jazz, um, kind of having a, a guy like Hayward who's on a max contract and producing at a max contract is actually a disadvantage uh, against you know a team you know the obvious example would be a team like the Cavs who have LeBron, who's on a max contract and producing well beyond that. So, um, does, does that make sense? Yeah, that that totally makes sense. The yeah. my thing with favors is that I and I wrote about him earlier in the week. I actually think he's going to be reasonable value, especially when we get to the TV money taking a hike in 2016. They're paying him less than 12 million a year next for next year, and then it, I think it jumps back up barely over 12 million for those last couple years. And in those years, he'll be 25 and 26, which are really your your prime years as an athlete. And I I think he's already. I mean, and, and tell me if you think differently, but I, I think he's already performing at at least the level of a 12 million a year player right now. And when 12 million a year in two years is going to be the equivalent of, you know, nine or 10. I think the jazz may have themselves a real bargain, which is actually going to allow them a little more flexibility elsewhere. Do, would you agree or disagree there? I, I think that, you know, performing at the level of a contract or even exceeding a little bit, I think that's, that's definitely reasonable. I mean, certainly a, you know, a, a, a big man value for a, a, an above average starter. I, I don't, I don't have any problem thinking that, you know, 12 million will be, at or even a little below the going rate, in, in either very, either now or very shortly. Um, the problem is, is if he's just producing again, if he's just producing at value, if then you know that that if if all your guys are producing kind of at contract value, then you're a you know a forty five to forty eight win team. You know all all things going right. If you, if you're not having anyone, you know whether it's 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 Dante Exum massively outperforming a rookie contract at some point. Or, or something like that, or, or you know, Hayward actually um, uh, kind of making making a, another mini leap to becoming a legit All Star level, level player, um, and and just that, and you know, those going from where they are now to forty some wins is doable. But if you're looking kind of beyond that into the trying to get into the high fifties, that's where the the you kind of need these. And again, I know it's it's a limiting. Uh, nomenclature but you need these kind of these superstar players who are massively outperforming their contracts and that's i don't want to say i'm disappointed but that's you're not really necessarily seeing that even from from uh hayward in favors yeah i know i think that's fair uh we've only got a couple minutes left but i want to ask you about the nba overall i mean we've been talking about these all-star rosters and, and what to look for out of those i want to get your take on kind of who are your last couple guys in for the West and East, and who are your last few guys out? 
Um, wow. Um, I guess the, I kind of agree with Zach Lowe wrote about this today. Uh, my big omission out West is probably Kevin Durant. This is obviously an all-star, but if we're talking about guys who deserve all-star based on their play this season, as good as he's been when he's played, he just hasn't been on the court enough. Um, let me see. Out, out East, I think that I, I am one of the people who definitely thinks the Hawks should get four, four all-stars. Um, I think that, uh, and and you know make make Damari Carroll and, and <laughs> have him involved some way too to, to kind of have <laughs> their their five starters there. But I think that um, you know Al Horford had a had a slow start to the year. He's been fantastic recently, and you know the the their other three starters, uh, Millsap, Teague, and and Corver are are I think you know almost no brainer all stars uh, to me. Um, so um, beyond that. Um, Probably makes things easier that uh, in terms of getting all the deserving players in that uh, that, that that Kobe is injured. Um, kind of wonder if if Aldridge is is, is going to end up um, once he's named uh, assume once he's named to the team, then say okay, but I'm not actually going to play, and that that maybe gets another another guy in out west. Whether that's you know Mike Conley who you know deserves it, but is probably the first guy out right now. Um, I don't know. Uh, are there any particular players you're 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 interested in in whether they should or shouldn't? Well, well, we're, we're we're running a bit short on time. I'll say that we are we are of very similar minds in both in terms of Durant and the four Atlanta All Stars. I add Hayward in because I'm a huge homer, and I, I I backed it up with saying that I'm a huge homer, and that I there are ways that to argue otherwise very easily. I think Conley is a good case. I think whether somebody like Cousins or Dwight makes it in is an interesting case, but I think we will have to table it until another time because we do have to go to break here in just a second. Right. But Seth, thank you so much for joining us again, guys. This is Seth Part. Now you can follow him on Twitter at. Seth Partnow, it's really easy, P-A-R-T-N-O-W, a really worthwhile follow. He tweets out a number of excellent analytical things all the time, and of course, follow him at his various outlets. He does a real, really great stuff. Thanks so much for joining us, Seth. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, and, and Seth has been a colleague of mine at, at multiple sites for a good period of time, and one of my favorites to talk to, both online and more private conversations. He's excellent. Yeah, he, he does a great job. I, I again, would encourage everyone out there listening to check out his stuff because he does do a great job for all these different outlets out there kind of letting people know what's out there in terms of NBA analytics and just knowing all 30 teams as well as he does is really impressive well let's go ahead and take a break but on the other side we're gonna have a little bit of fun something that we like to do on the show a lot the the crazy trade idea of the week this week we've got two since we're actually only four weeks away from the NBA's trade deadline We'll talk a little, uh, a couple of those ideas and, and what maybe the Jazz might be looking for at the trade deadline next. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association, this is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of Salt City Hoops. We've got Ben Dowsett on the other side of the table. By the way, tweet us or call us and let us know your thoughts on anything on the show today. You can tweet me at Andy B. Larson, or you can tweet Ben over here at, at ben, ben underscore Dowsett. You can also call us at 877-353-0700 if you'd like. Don't you want the opportunity to tell us how wrong we are about things? I, I think people very often take that opportunity, Ben. It's true. <laughs> we get that fairly often. But regardless, um, we've got two fun ideas, and... 
So this is something we, we used to do all the time on, on the show, and especially on the podcast, the crazy trade idea of the week. This week we came up with two kind of crazy trade ideas as, as the trade deadline comes up at the end of February. And we want to see. We want to talk about them a little bit. I, I would. I would like to note that you actually came up with both of I these, did and not. since both include the same. Pl- oh, you didn't. I should point. Yeah, no, I did oh. not invent these. These are. I, are they these real are GM not, trades? Yeah, these are oh. just real GM trades. So okay, like, so neither of us are, is culpable for putting the same two <laughs> same two jazz players in both these trades. No, neither of us. These are basically these are fan trades. These are not rumors. These are not speculation. These are like fans going out there and playing with the ESPN trade machine. Fair enough. God bless them. Fun stuff. All right. Well, let's go to the... You want me to read the first one? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. The first one will be a trade with the Oklahoma City Thunder, who have already been active on the trade market this year. Mm-hmm. And the trade will be the Jazz receive... Cover your ears, guys. Kendrick Perkins, <laughs> Reggie Jackson, and Grant Jarrett, who is a, a backup power forward that the Thunder have got on the roster. And the Jazz will be sending Ennis Cantor, Steve Novak, and Trey Burke. This is... Very interesting. I will say that much. Now, here's the thing with Jackson is, of course, the main piece that you're sending for if you're the Jazz in this situation. And he's a restricted free agent after this season, meaning that he the Jazz will control his rights, but that he may get an offer from somebody and that they may not want to match depending on what they think of him as a player. Right. Now, the reason that I am a little reticent about the idea of this trade is that the issues people have with Trey's game thus far has been a lot of it at least has been shooting and Reggie Jackson has not been a better shooter in He's fact maybe a worse shooter. he might be worse and that's you know if you're going to be making a trade for a different guard I really think you want to even if you give up a little bit in other areas I think you need it has to be a guy who shoots and with that being the case, there's been a little bit of talk around Oklahoma City that maybe some of Jackson's teammates aren't the hugest fans of playing with him because he'll hijack possessions and do things like that from time to time. I'm not honestly so sure that I would want to... I think Trey probably still has a significantly higher ceiling than Jackson, and with Cantor as well, we may not be the perfect future piece, but we've talked about ways that he may end up being able to stay with the Jazz where it's not killing your cap future and things like that, like taking the qualifying offer or taking maybe a smaller deal than we initially thought. I don't know that I'd want to uh, to punt both of those pieces. Maybe if it was only one of those two and a different player, I would consider it, but not. I don't think I'd do that for both those guys. What about you? Yeah, I don't think I do either. I mean, it, it was fun, and I, I liked reading it on Real GM, and that, that's yeah. why I included it in the show today, but... Ultimately, I, I, I do think Reggie Jackson is, is an upgrade over Trey Burke and a significant one. Uh, I, I feel like he is he's not a better shooter, you're right, but he is more athletic. He's able to finish around the rim, something Trey Burke's had a lot of trouble with. Um, and he is also just in a whole other world in terms of defensive scrappiness and defensive toughness, mm. defensive energy, something that the Jazz have been really looking for out of their players. Uh, I mean, yeah. It feels yeah. like since the beginning of time, but really as – Quinn Snyder tries to implement this defensive system. It would be nice to have a Reggie Jackson-type player to be able to to kind of muck things up a little bit, where yeah. Trey Burke is, is not that player. is just kind of continually going under screens, giving the, de- uh, giving the offense space. Yeah, and if you think that you can fix Jackson's shot a little bit, I mean, he shot in the mid-30s from three last year. If you think that you can make him into a, a decent spot-up shooter, then it could be a move you look into because you're right, his defense is going to be a big upgrade over Trey's pretty immediately and going forward. Yeah. So, I but mean, the restricted free agency thing is also something, too. If somebody else sees the same things that you do and think they can come in there and do that, and maybe they've got a little more cap flexibility than you do, 
who knows if they make you some kind of poison pill offer that you're not a huge fan of and then you right. can't match it and then you've given up a guy like Trey Burke who had two more cost controlled years on his rookie deal and that could be a big negative. Yeah, no, and there's no question. I mean, they'd have to be ready to spend that money uh, and, and I don't, I'm not sure that they would. Also, you know, Ennis Cantor's in that same situation mm-hmm. so you, he's definitely something of value at this point. It's just not clear what that value is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I see why, and there were, for what it's worth, there were Oklahoma City fans saying that they wouldn't do this deal as well, you know, that they like Reggie Jackson enough that they, they want to keep him. Um, I would probably consider it if I was OKC, honestly, to I, get Trey for two I don't think as a jazz years. man that that's, that's what I do. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I All wouldn't right. do it. So let's talk about the second deal. It also involves trading Ennis Cantor and Trey Burke. Again, not my decision not ours. world. Real GMs only. But, yeah, somebody with, like, Three posts on Real GM suggested this, so we had to talk about it on our radio show. Yep. Um, but Ennis Cantor and Trey Burke to Charlotte, who has been, again, active in the trade market. Uh, we'll talk about some of their trade rumors later in the Around the NBA segment. But for Gerald Henderson and this year's first-round draft pick. What do you think of this deal? And uh, the deal suggested was, ta- was that they had a top-three protection put on that pick, right? Right, so if, they, if Charlotte were to win the lottery or win any of those top-three slots in the lottery, then they would keep their pick and, and you know the Jazz would get next year's or, or what have you. Okay. Um, I, the thing that I want, I think this one, first of all, is a little closer than the other one, but I still think I'd probably say no if for no other reason than... Do you, if you're the Jazz, I just, I think, and this is something we've talked about with, with Dan Clayton, another one of our writers, a number of times when we've had him on the show and, and privately as well. You reach a point within a, a rebuild slash developmental process at which you got to stop adding young pieces and you've got to start adding the, the veteran presences and the, those sort of fringe players that are going to take you to being a contender. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if the Jazz haven't already kind of passed that point. It, not to the point of where they trade their own first-round pick this year, which they're going to, I think, maybe is kind of a last piece of the puzzle type thing is how I've been thinking of it. I just don't know that you need two potential lottery picks this year, at least not enough to give up on a guy like Trey, who I'm just... He hasn't been great, but I'm not convinced that this guy can't be a valuable rotation player for a team. I'm just not convinced yet, and there's yeah. more time to see. No, and I, I think he can, but I think a, a valuable rotation player is, is worth a potentially top-ten pick. True. Especially, you know, we, we talked with Seth about how the Jazz need this kind of star-level player in order to really be that sort of contending team. This gives the Jazz two kind of flips of the coin, if you will, in next year's draft to take two different looks at players you know, and you're right. They may not pan out, and it is a little bit behind the developmental curve. But you give yourself a couple of different chances to get lucky in the lottery and actually draft that good player with with two top ten picks. I I mean, I, I think that one's worth considering. It is. And uh, uh, a tweet here from our friend Clint Peterson: Trade season is fun for everyone except Jazz fans generally, which I agree with, by the way. <laughs> uh, he, and he says, I think the Jazz stand pat. I I have to very likely agree with the only possibility being I do think there's still a chance they kick the tires on a canter trade of some kind I don't think that a good one is going to end up being out there but I think they're going to at least look and if somebody does really really like him or something like that and is willing to send something of real value I think they would look into it but in terms of something like this where you're bringing picks back I'm just I just kind of think the Jazz are in that middle ground where not that you couldn't get better, but you also look at the trajectory in terms of where guys are going to be in a couple of years. And I think, I don't know if it works as well in terms of that with the 
you know, you think about you're going to have Gordon in his prime. You're going to have Derek in his prime. You're going to have Gobert at like 24 or so. You're going to have Burks at 25, I think, is how old he's going to be in two years from now. Yeah. And uh, he's you, not that old. Burke is pretty young. Oh, I, mean, I said Burks. I meant oh, Burks. Burks. And then and Burke himself, but he is still older than whoever your draft pick would be this year if you picked somebody and that you know if you grabbed a different guard in this year as your second first round pick in this year's draft right. or something like that. And just trajectory wise, I wonder whether it works. And I just wonder whether you're not taking a little bit too large of a risk with again a, a guy in Trey who ha, who ha, you know has a lot of work to do, but who I think we've seen strides from, and I think can still make himself into a guy that's worth his money and also cost controlled for too much. Not that the draft pick wouldn't be, and the, the right. draft pick would be, but. I just don't know about making more first-round draft picks and sort of continuing this "quote-unquote" rebuild process, if you will. Yeah, I, I just I think it depends where you want the Jazz to go, uh, and mm-hmm. if you're you're happy with kind of making the playoffs and then working together as a system to kind of be like an Atlanta Hawk kind of roster where you where you put it together at the end um, through system and, and teamwork and having a, a, an elite rotation of five guys in your starting lineup. Or if you have the superstar, because quite frankly, the Jazz, I don't think they have one. Dante Axum might work out, but it's not clear at all. Yeah, yeah. That's the, I think that one's a lot closer than the first one that we talked about, at least. Fair. Yeah, and I agree. I don't think the Jazz do it, but it's it's something to consider for Jazz fans if it's the right kind of move that you want to do. Anyway, on the other side of the break, we've got DJ Jazzy Jody Genesey joining us. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. City Hoops show, you're listening to Andy Larson and Ben Dowsett. I'm the managing editor of Salt City Hoops, Ben, associate editor of Salt City Hoops. Extraordinaire, right? Associate editor extraordinaire. Thanks again for joining us. We've got Jody Genesee, or at least we're trying to get a hold of Jody Genesee on the line. Oh, we do have him. Lovely. Let's go ahead and jump in. Jody, are you there? I am here. Lovely. Okay, cool. So in case you don't know, Jody Genesee, the Deseret News beat writer for the Utah Jazz and a general all-around Utah Jazz expert as well as uh, a man of hilarity. Is, is that fair to say, Jody? <laughs> I like that man of hilarity. <laughs> uh, so, Can we work Vine into that word, yeah, into that somewhere? Vinlarity. Yeah. It's, it's not like Jeremy Lin's name. It, it doesn't work that it well. It doesn't. With, with combinations. <laughs> I'm being called a vine connoisseur. Well, I call myself a vine connoisseur. Others, others call me a vino. That's probably the most fitting. <laughs> I like it. So uh, let's let's talk about the jazz first a little bit, and then maybe we'll get into your exploits. Um, I, I want to ask, we, we just did a segment about a couple of different trades at the jazz um, that jazz fans basically made up on the internet. Let's be honest about what they were. Uh, and it kind of got me thinking what you think the jazz are looking for in terms of how they're approaching this trade deadline, you know, are they are they looking to acquire something for this year, for next? Are they looking? What positions are they looking to acquire something? What skills? I mean, uh, have you heard anything from the organization about that? Well, um, no. I mean, honestly, right now I haven't. Lately, I haven't heard anything. They uh, are pretty tight-lipped, but the general feeling around the organization is that this, I mean, it's pretty obvious that this team needs help on the wing still. They need uh, more three-point shooting. They need a, really a true three-and-D guy that can uh, play alongside with uh, Gordon Hayward and, and Alec Burks in the future. And uh, I, and I think that needs to be a, a, a good veteran player, to be honest with you, for them to take the next step. Um, 
so I, I would, if they can find somebody uh, this year that that uh, fits that bill and and gives them more assets in the future, then I could see them pulling off a trade. I don't think that they're necessarily going to be active as far as uh, certainly not just trying to improve their team for this year. It's all long term still for them. But you know, we've been hearing this talk about the rebuild and and uh, get, gaining assets. But at some point, you need to cash in those assets. And, and get your team going forward and, and start making the playoffs. And, you know, so I, if they can do something that helps them this year, and next year, and in and, and the next two years, then I, I think they'll do it. Otherwise, I, I just don't know how active they'll be. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. And we were just talking about that before the break, actually, is at what time do you have you reached that point where it's kind of time to start cashing in some of those assets? And who knows whether or not that time has passed already. I, I do kind of agree in terms of the wing market, which is uh, definitely their strongest point of need at the moment, that I don't know that there are too many guys that fit the description that you just said of a, of a, a veteran guy who could be had for something that the Jazz would be willing to give up which is that's a that's a major piece as well is that it has to be something that we have the assets to make a trade for. I'm just not sure that there's anyone necessarily there who's at least not that we know of being on the trade block is I mean did you have anyone specifically in mind or is are you kind of of the same mind where it's a little difficult there to think of a, a good fit? Yeah, that's that's the problem is here's what they need but there's nobody out there that really fits that that uh, mold but and they like Alec Burks and and uh, I think Rodney Hood, you know, was on the the track to to certainly becoming that eventually, but uh, he, both of those guys are out right now, and so that doesn't done no good um, for now. But I, I don't know if they can be necessarily that that top tier wing that I think that the Jazz really need alongside Gordon Hayward to take them to the next level. I I don't know. I think it's a big question mark for the Utah this uh, either this trade. At the trade deadline or this next off season, because you you just can't keep drudging around in uh, rebuild land. You got to move forward. Yeah, I, I guess that's my question: is is you know if you don't make a trade and you don't make a major free agent acquisition this summer, you just pick up whoever the Jazz draft in this year's draft, and then you know kind of keep building these complementary pieces. How good do you think the Jazz could be next season? Because you know I I do think it tops out at about a 541 win team. Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, they're probably going to end up somewhere around the 31 mark, give or take uh, a couple wins here or there uh, this year. And next year, they really do need to get to that that 500 mark, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't see them making a leap into the playoffs next year, certainly not in the West. Um, but and I, I said that I had a conversation with uh, sort of on the, along these lines on Twitter the other day, and I said, if the Jazz aren't in the playoffs in 2017, then you can start panicking. <laughs> I'll, I'll give them this year, obviously. I'll give them next year, even, as long as that progress continues and, and they're somewhere around the 500 mark. But really, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. You, you've seen a lot of progress by Gordon Hayward and Derek Favors, and if everybody could improve as quickly as Rudy Gobert has, boy, they can really shoot up there, but... I mean, he's a. I think he's a rare case. So, I, I still think that they're one or two good pieces away from being a playoff team. 
I, I have to agree with you, Jody, and I think that the time to potentially pursue those pieces is actually going to be this offseason rather than this. Uh, there may only be one or two available, but you can at least take runs at them, like a, a Wes Matthews, somebody like that who, you, you know, there's a pretty good chance he doesn't even leave Portland, but at least it's somebody you can take a run at where you don't have to have the assets. And I I don't know that I might even speed your timetable up a little bit that you mentioned there. If, if In my opinion, if the Jazz aren't at least in the conversation for the eight spot next year, because here's where you're looking at trajectory-wise after that, uh, it's easy to forget that the Jazz did match Gordon Hayward's deal, but part of what Charlotte did with their original offer to make it a bit of a poison pill was they gave Hayward a player option in his fourth year. And that means that if you don't make the playoffs next year, you're or and aren't even really in the conversation. You're looking at only one more guaranteed year of Gordon Hayward after that. And if that's the, if that last year of guarantee is his first one where he's even kind of where the team is, uh, you know, a definite playoff team and and even and they're at that point still not really in the conversation for the title or to even make it far in the Western Conference. I think all of a sudden you start to worry about is Gordon going to walk after this year and go play somewhere for the the rest of his prime where he can win a title and have a realistic shot at it. And who knows how that's going to operate in Gordon's mind, but. To me, the timetable might even be sped up a little bit, and I think next year is a really, really huge year, and I think this, both this trade deadline and this summer are going to be the times to kind of be trying to make those moves for your team to where you can push for that eight spot next year. You know, that, that's actually a really good point. Uh, maybe I'm uh, being a little bit too patient, which is not exactly my uh, forte <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but it's not my money, and, and I'm not a fan right now, so... You know, that, especially with Gordon Hayward, I mean, there, one of the intriguing parts of uh, potentially going to Charlotte, and one of the reasons he signed that uh, offer sheet was he wants to win now, and he loves to win, and he's a really super competitive guy, and, and last year was miserable for him, how uh, non-competitive the Jazz were and how they just didn't win a lot. This year, he's I think he's matured, and I think he's in a better mental state and is making a lot of money that but i i think he he knows that this year was going to be tough and it was going to be a rebuilding year and he likes the progress that they're meaning they're making but he's a winner and wants to win and wants to win as soon as possible so i mean i you make a really good point ben that, uh he's the type of guy that it's not that he's not loyal but you know he's loyal to winning above all else almost i think that's for gordon hayward that's the most important thing Jody, I want to ask you what you make of Rudy Gobert's uh, big leap this season. And I guess I, you know, I, I know that, and I, I know that this has been obvious and how much better he's played this season compared to last. And I know, you know, commentators from around the NBA are, are talking about Rudy Gobert. But I wanted to know what you thought about like how this happened. You know, what was it? Was it something that the Jazz development staff did particularly well with? Working with Rudy Gobert was it something that he took on that effort on his own to make that leap? What have you seen that has made this leap possible? It's a yeah, it's a really good question, and it's it's an interesting process he's gone through because he's uh, came to Jazz and he had some international experience, but it, you know it wasn't at the top level, and he was so raw. And, you know, you just looked at him, and he still is. I mean, offensively, but he's certainly made strides. But remember last year? I mean, just everybody compared him to like this gangly giraffe that was just learning how to walk, or you know a, a a doe, a deer, a doe, 
a female deer. Not, <laughs> not so the song. Say that. You're the you're the fourth tenor, Jody. I expected <laughs> some musical talent from you tonight. <laughs> Fawn is the word I'm looking for. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not trying to call Rudy a, a female deer, uh, but I mean he just didn't have his legs underneath him, and he just looked uh, lost, and he didn't get a lot of time. It was really controversial, and that he only played in. I believe it was 45, 46 games, something like that last year, and only averaged nine minutes. So, But they did a lot of work with him behind the scenes, and they were trying to help him with his uh, footwork and his handwork especially. He would get out there and just be lost and didn't have any confidence. And it was a rough year, but, you know, he he kept working. And he was injured. If you remember, he had a, a medical procedure in the off season early on, and that kind of hampered his progress. So that all the more credit goes to him because he, he didn't have a, the full off season to work, you know, and then he went to the French team and, and uh, actually spent some time with the jazz there in the summer. And I think that that time that he had was working with the jazz and with this new uh, group and they instilled some confidence in him and, and continue to work with him. And uh, I think the summer league, he gained some confidence. I think he really enjoyed being, uh, cheered on by jazz fans. I, I know that sounds silly, but he's the type of guy. He loves that stuff. So I think he gained some confidence in summer league from both coaches and fans and his teammates. That continued in, in the summer, and he just became more assertive and uh, used his talents and his unique body uh, to really assert himself, in, in that, uh, especially in that quarterfinal against Spain, and just kind of propelled him into the NBA season. And you see the the progression. I mean, he didn't like this. You look back at the first, beginning of the season. It's not like he was playing a lot then either. He was playing every game, but he was only averaging 15 minutes the first month of the season. And he's demanded more time, and some injuries have uh, helped him get more time on the court. But now he's he's worked up where he's he's a legit 30 minute a night guy, and you almost need to be out there because you guys know the numbers better than I do, and everybody else that. When he's out there, the Jazz are just so much better defensively. It's it's just night and day. Yeah, the the, the numbers are actually somewhat startling in terms of that. Like, and it, usually with a team, you'll see a few guys that have numbers that are separate from the others because they play together a lot and things like that in terms of on and off court numbers. That is not the case for Rudy. When Rudy is like the only Jazz player with whom they have this elite level defense when he's on the court. Everybody else, it's one of the worst. When then, when they're on without him, it's one of the worst defenses in the league by a full season metric. My question for you, Jody, as someone who is with the team a little, you know, a little more often, you see some of the ins and outs that maybe the standard fan isn't going to see. What do you what do you think of his potential going forward as uh, a a free throw shooter and b could this guy ever realistically develop like an eight to ten foot shot that at least gets you to the point where you have to at least think about it when he's at that range and you can't just completely play off of him so that it, it slugs your offense up. Yeah, I, I really think he can. Uh, last uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I had a fine out there that. He was shooting some three-pointers, and and kindly I edited out the misses, but he made his last two three-pointers at his toe on the line one of the times. But he hit two corner threes, long twos, and he just he seems like he has a pretty good stroke, you know. And, and I think uh, with confidence, you, you see that with some of the big guys like Derek Favors, it's, it's, taken, it's taken him five years to really get comfortable with the mid-range game. And I think Rudy, he has the stroke that uh, he can get there. And 
one of the reasons I believe that is because you look at his free throw shooting last year as a rookie. He was under 50%. This year, he's right around the 67% mark. I haven't looked at it lately, but somewhere right around the, the two-thirds mark. And he, That's a vast improvement in one season. And so that shows that, uh, you know, when he puts his mind to it and, and focuses and concentrates, he, he can hit and improve. And both that, that number certainly needs to come up. You really, I mean, 67% is a lot better than 40 something percent, obviously, but you need to be in the 70, 70% range and 80% to really be, uh, to not be a, a detrimental to your team from the free throw line. So, but I, I think that his work ethic, I, I think he'll improve as he gets stronger as well. That's one thing he, we talked to him about a few weeks ago. He, he didn't have the offseason to work his, to bulk up. Physically, he didn't get a little work, do a lot of weightlifting because of his uh, procedure that he had. And so this offseason, he plans on uh, lifting more weights and getting stronger. I think that will help him both offensively and defensively. I also think he needs to continue to work with his hands. You, you notice every game, he sometimes struggles catching the ball. And I, I that, that's a liability. Yeah, there are a few turnovers there. Well, I, I wanted to ask you, since you mentioned the vines in that answer, I wanted to ask you about those vines. And, you know, I, I know I wanted to ask first how you got started, and then I know you've had some some positive reviews and negative reviews recently. So I wanted to know kind of what, what people think about them. Who's giving negative <laughs> reviews to these vines? He's retweeted them. And they've been on my timeline, and I, I'm, I'm curious what he thinks. I don't like those people. Whoever those people were, I don't like those people. Uh, yeah, I was, I was talking to Lathan Shumway, SLC Dunk, and he today, and I said they're strangely polarizing. I think it's more me tweeting out the vines uh, a few times a day because nobody just like wandering around my vine timeline, so I have to remind them that they're there. You know, here's what happened is I, I got a new phone, a nice iPhone 6 Plus this off-season off right in training camp, and I did a vine of a couple of uh, Ennis Cantor hitting a three-pointer and some uh, jazz uh, training camp uh, situations, and, and that was kind of fun. And then, I, I don't know, I just I started looking on Vine and seeing all the goofy things that people were doing, and I like to think that I'm a creative guy and try to be funny. And so I just started doing silly stuff, and Quinn Snyder gave me some some fun material, and and I, I made these little short skits. I mean, you have six seconds, so it's a real challenge to try to get something funny or interesting in six seconds out there. Um, you can tell by the way I rambled that that's a big challenge for me. <laughs> <laughs> I like the I like the ones that have the the full game recap where I have to pause it eight times just to read everything that you're putting on the on the screen. Like, I've literally spent uh, like a good minute do, re- looking at one of your vines just to figure out what it all said. It's it's funny. So I started doing early on um, the uh, Meet the Mormons show was coming out and. And I thought it'd be funny to do a six-second uh, uh, parody of that, and so I showed the title, and then I just showed myself saying, "Hi, I'm Jody Genesey," you know. And so there you go, you met this Mormon, and it got a, a good response, and probably for for the worse, and and it kind of uh, prompted me to keep on doing more, and encouraged me to keep on going on, and I've had fun. And then as I started doing more vines and, and started doing the goofy fourth tenor and stuff. Somebody challenged me to uh, do a game recap of all 82 games, and uh, strange or unwisely, I accepted the challenge. 
And so, yeah, after every Jazz game, I do a six-and-a-half-second recap. And, you know, a lot of, you just have to pick one angle, but sometimes I'm trying to cram so much in there that, yeah, it almost feels like uh, that moment from Chuck where all the images flash on the screen, and uh, you have to really click on the screen sometimes to, to get all the Easter eggs that I throw in there. But I've had a lot of fun doing it. It's been a creative outlet, and I've got mostly positive feedback. What's the best? What's the most the the most popular one you've had, or the the best response you've had? <laughs> the most popular vine I've had. I was in Chicago, and there's this really goofy fan, uh, a Bulls fan, was trying to get Derek Favors to miss a free throw, and he got up and just started making weird noises and started shaking his belly, and dancing like a fool right behind the the uh, free throw line and and the basketball stanchion. And I just had the perfect angle to get him being a goofball. And that one got about 90,000 loops. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's been fun. So it's you and our man Tyler Gibbons who are the Vine successes. And mm-hmm. he has, you know, like hundreds of thousands of views on his. It's it's just goofy how he does those HD Vines that are so popular with, with the, I don't know, the rap producers of the world. <laughs> yeah, Tyler, I mean, he is just, he has this, clear uh picture and and his photography skills are just just crazy good and so he is just exceptional at getting highlights out there and that's not my forte you know i i'm a lousy photographer i'll admit it you know i was known for the jody blur photography for the first (laughs) few years of my (laughs) b writing career but i i try to add some like i i approach my writing career this way too I, i try to add some levity and creativity and i fully believe my job is to inform and entertain and that's the approach i take with both my writing and my plans so well you, yeah i have fun yeah you do a great job of it jody thanks again for joining us on the show today that's jody Genesee of the deseret news I'll, I'll see you tomorrow all right sounds good andy and ben thanks for having me on guys yeah thanks thanks again for joining us and that guys is jody Genesee again at DJ Jazzy Jody on Twitter if you somehow don't follow him and are listening to this show, which I think would be a combination <laughs> that is very unlikely out there. But There are those people who don't have Twitter still. That's true. That's yeah, Well, if you have a Twitter and you listen to this show, you should probably already be following Jody. But just in case you aren't. By the yeah. way, the Pink Grandmas uh, created a Twitter account. You know, the, the two Pink Grandmas who the Jazz uh, Jumbotron yeah. show on... Uh, you know, maybe every other game, but they they are adorable. They started a Twitter account with the help of their grandsons and granddaughters uh, today. I, I think it it was, and so they're looking for followers. They're at Pink Grandmas. I hope they wanna... I hope they follow me. That would be a huge honor. That would be a, a massive honor. I, I I can't imagine anything more. You know, I will quit Twitter if they follow me because <laughs> I just wait. Doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose? It does. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing would be better than that. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we're going to go around the NBA. There's a lot to talk about. There are a lot of injuries happened this week uh, in the league. There's some trade rumors out there. There's some massive performances in the league. We'll talk about all of those next. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. We are the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Check out all our work on saltcityhoops.com. It's pretty good. It's, it's all fun. right. It's yeah, it's decent. It's decent. Check it out. I I mean I, I think we're okay. It, you know maybe. Um, I think national people, people say have that a our work is okay. You were linked to Bill Simmons' article earlier this weekend. We haven't talked about that. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, yeah Bill as if Simmons I forgot you. about as if I forgot about that. I'm just kidding. I didn't forget about no, that I... at all. It was a huge honor. Uh, you know, Bill Simmons was the first sports writer I really ever read. So, and you know, whether or not he reads regularly, he huge, probably doesn't. Huge, probably doesn't. <laughs> huge honor. Thank you, Bill. If because I know you're listening to this program as you do every week. <laughs> yeah, naturally. I mean, uh, maybe. Uh, but let's go around the NBA because there's so much to talk about. As always, we'll lead off with the weekend Lakers. This is your LOL Lakers segment. The Lakers, as always, are just not doing that well. First of all, Kobe is now out for the rest of the season with a torn rotator cuff. He had the surgery, I believe, two days ago. Um, and torn rotator cuff surgery means that you can't play for a long time. Ouch. Especially yeah. when you're that age. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see how his career progresses. If he's able to play at all next season. Um, or you know, when he can play. Whether he'll be any good at all, because he had already kind of decreased in efficiency. I mean, it's... It's getting to the end for Mr. Kobe Bean Bryant. Mm-hmm. Uh, also reported this week was that he was thinking about signing with the Washington Wizards when he, in that 04 free agency where he was. You know, there was reports that he was going to sign with L.A., the, the Clippers rather than the Lakers. Uh, and then when Michael Jordan retired and then was not returned to his general manager position, Kobe kind of lost that. He was hoping to be kind of the protege to, to Michael Jordan hmm. and instead uh, stayed in L.A. Wait, Kobe Bryant wanting to be like Michael Jordan? That, that doesn't compute to me. <laughs> I've, I've never heard that before, ever. That's, that's new, yes. And then Nick Young uh, once asked you know, how he's going to perform during uh, Kobe's surgery and absence. He said, quote-unquote, pretty much just give me the ball and get out of the way. Wow, what an attitude. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way that's of putting exactly it. That's exactly right. Nick Young, by the way, is a 35% shooter on two-point shots. Like, he is, if he, you're giving him the ball and getting out of the way, you're going to lose all of your game. This guy is literally an animated cartoon character in, <laughs> like, in real life, which I think I'm ripping that off from somebody who said that on Twitter, but and whoever it was, I apologize. But, uh, he, I mean, th- is this a real person? Like, at times you just think that he isn't. Everything about that guy in general just makes you think that he was invented to come entertain us all, which is great. Yeah. And But, no, I don't think they should be giving the ball to him and getting out of the way every possession. But there's nobody who smiles more in the NBA. Very I true. That about you. Except yeah. maybe Ennis Cantor. Maybe in a, yeah, I don't know. I, he I think smiles for no reason so much. I saw him coming. <laughs> I, last night I was watching warm-ups before the game, and I saw him come out. He, what, he hadn't talked to sure, anybody. But warm-ups are fun. It's true, especially for him. He has those battles in the post with Antonio Lang, which I tweeted a picture of. But he's he he just came, you know, skipping out onto, literally skipping out on, not with not doing the arm thing, but just like actually <laughs> skipping with his like huge beaming smile on his face. And he, I, I, I was watching him as he walked up. He hadn't spoken to any people Maybe. when he was coming. Out. Maybe Makes that's why crawl. he played so well. That doesn't make my skin crawl. That it was nice. It, yeah, it was lovely, lovely. Not skin crawling. Anyway, that's this week in Lakers. Your update. Well, as always, we'll keep track of them. Um, the Knicks square streak, which I mentioned last week, is over. They won three games in a row, so it's no longer possible that they finish the season eight and sixty-four or whatever it would have required. Bummer. Too, too bad. Um, a lot of injuries this week in the NBA on a, on a dour note. We've got Kemba Walker out six weeks, so that'll be interesting. Charlotte's looking to trade, apparently, for someone to replace him so they can be in this playoff push while he's out. I think that's going to be interesting to see if they do end up able to get someone capable to, to be his backup or, or starting. Maybe 
reacquiring someone like Ramon Sessions could be a possibility. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing. And there's been talk um, that they're going to try and uh, be a, do a big one with uh, to maybe get Lance out the door and try and get Joe Johnson yeah, from and, Brooklyn. And that would be interesting as well. Obviously, he would use a lot of Kemba's p- shots and possessions as well. So I think that could be fun for for Charlotte fans. I, I, Joe Johnson's a good player. And they're, you know, they're right on that bubble of teams that's going to be kind of in that in the competition for that eight spot and so and with Johnson I think expiring either this year or next, he's huge money that you don't want long term, but if it's a one-year push and you need those 6 weeks where you're you lo- you've lost your best player, could be viable. Yeah, I know. I, I think it could work and, you know, it's still the Eastern Conference. Uh LaMarcus Aldridge declines thumb surgery. So basically, he he has a thumb injury, uh thumb, I guess I'm not sure how to put it, but somehow his thumb doesn't move in quite the way. Right Fifth way metatarsal it. or something. Yeah, something like that. Regardless, um, he was slated to be out for six to eight weeks, is now declined this surgery that would have kicked him out, and, and basically he's playing with painkillers, trying to keep the Portland Trailblazers in the playoffs and, and keep their seed high. It's a really interesting decision. I mean, it tells you what he is as a competitor, and it also tells you if you were one of those suitors that was lining up cap space to try and chase him this offseason, you might as well just look elsewhere because I, I think this is a pretty hefty signal that he's committed to this team and that he's yeah. he's going to be coming back unless they like lowball him with some ridiculous offers, which they won't. So, right. yeah, I, I, real ballsy move. I'm not, you know— I don't. I'm no doctor. I I know that they're gonna be feeling pretty regretful about it if something happens within this period. But I don't think they would have allowed him to do that if the risk of that was like insanely high. So I think it's hey, you know what? That's a competitor. Yeah, now, Mirza Teletovic uh, from the Brooklyn Nets. Some some scary news with him. He's a sharpshooter. Uh, nearly died from blood clots in his lung. It was reported this week. I mean, yeah. that's. That's scary stuff for someone who's in the prime of their life. Oh, absolutely. And I've, I just read today that I think they're gonna, they are gonna have to drive him back cross-country rather than fly him because it's too dangerous for him to fly wow. at high altitude. Best wishes to him, obviously. And, uh, and the Nets actually came into town uh, just after that on Saturday night. They right. were here. And so we talked, you know, and that was the, the general prevailing theme across that whole thing was just, of course, at this point, basketball is completely on the back burner. You, you, you just hope that he and his family can get our okay and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, this, this is not a fun cross-country road trip. This is no, a, yeah, not not a, no fun at all. This this it, does it seem like there have been a lot of injuries this year? Because it really seems it like feels that to like me. It, but then uh, the people who do the stats on this, the people who count the number of days missed due to injury in the NBA, say this is actually maybe a, even a light year for injuries. Huh. I wonder a lot of the bigger names in the league have kind of been. Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if it's just that we noticed it more because there have been some bit more maybe trending towards bigger names that have been hurt on a couple of occasions, which is actually a little weird when you think about it with the league's at least slightly raised consciousness in terms of resting your stars more often and getting your stars a little bit more uh, leisure time so that they aren't as at risk for injuries like this. But of course, a lot of it is just kind of bad luck. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I think that there's no doubt that that's the case. The one we haven't mentioned yet is maybe the longest-term injury of all is Brandon Jennings' yeah. ruptured Achilles. That's the sort of injury that we've seen ruin careers. Oh, I yeah. mean, from Memo Okur, who was a shell of himself after uh, rupturing his Achilles in the, in the playoffs against Denver. Um, Derek that's Rose. That's so unfortunate because Brandon Jennings was playing really, really good basketball mm-hmm. since the Pistons traded 
uh, Josh Smith. Yeah, he was, you know, he was totally changing the way a lot of people think. We had Seth on the program earlier, and Seth has been long been a, a major Jennings hater, and even he was saying, you know, that how unfortunate it is that it, it, it's always unfortunate, no matter what, no matter whether you dislike a player's game, but especially now as he maybe appeared to have turned a career corner in some in some aspects. It's it, yeah, really unfortunate, and you hate to see it for a young guy. Yeah, and better news though. Let's move on to that. The Clippers have won five straight. They're looking like an actual NBA con- contender again. There was some question there of whether or not they'd be good enough. Yeah, and I think they actually just finally reclaimed the top overall spot for per-possession offense. Yeah, um, it's just kind of whether or not they can be a good defensive team. Yeah, and and whether or not their depth is going to hold up. But as you get into the playoffs, you actually your depth is less important, as right. we know. So I'm intrigued by them. There are certain of these negative signs. Doc has done an unmitigatedly terrible job. I don't know if unmitigatedly is a word. It probably isn't. <laughs> They've, they, Doc's done a really bad job as the GM, but then on the flip side, a really great job as the coach. So yeah. it'll be really really interesting to see what happens with them whether this is finally the year that Chris Paul's extra gear can take his team to a conference finals or to a finals we keep talking about how he has an extra gear but then he keeps not getting out of the second round of the playoffs and so yeah it'll be interesting and you know the west has never been tougher so they'll have some tests it it really will be uh and then two of the maybe some of the best performances in NBA history at least NBA recent history happened this week the first one and Maybe the smaller one is Hassan Whiteside's 12-block performance this weekend on national TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really announced his presence as one of the league's elite rim protectors. And he, w- he was one of those guys who you know, was a low draft pick. A lot of people gave up on him. A lot of teams traded him. And now he's found a home in Miami where he's been able to perform at a really high level. He's now moved into the starting lineup for the Heat. And he's going to stay there. And it, I actually I wrote on him the day before that for yeah, B-Ball you're Breakdown. Smarty no, no, no. I, was, I wasn't saying it for that. I was saying it because <laughs> when, I wrote, when I wrote that article, I got to see just how much he's bounced around in the last three years. And it's insane. His basketball reference page has like 15 lines worth of stuff for, from, you know, wa- waved, brought to the D-League, called back up, back down to the D-League, waved, went to China, went to Lebanon, back to the D-League, brought up, waved. Like, it's unbelievable. He was waved after a single day by Memphis earlier Ouch. this year, which and then picked up by Miami, then sent to the D-League again and brought back before he started his, his major recent streak. He's a really unique case in terms of that. He's a really interesting player. Yeah, I wonder if he's the first triple-double candidate from a D-League player that called up, got called up in that same season. Somebody looked that up and... Tweet it to us. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious because that was just a monster performance, especially to put up that many blocks. Um, you know, that absolutely changes the game. That, you know, 10 blocks, I think, you see that. But then you also realize that that hurts your opponent's field goal percentage by, like, 15% with yeah. how many shots they take. I mean, yeah. it's, that's, that's kind of a mind-blowing number for me. And then, of course, the huge eruption by Clay Thompson, 37 points in the third quarter. Uh, you, I mean, I've sh- I'm sure you've seen the highlights right now, but you have to watch that whole quarter from start to finish to kind of realize just, like, the magnitude of what he accomplished. Yeah. Like, uh, it, it almost seemed impossible. At no point did I think watching that entire quarter, you know, even as he put up 18 with only three minutes left to go, you're like, you still got to score 17 points, Clay, in order to make this happen. Is this really going to Is this really gonna happen? And then it did. It all came together for Clay Thompson. And, and what has to be the best eruption point-wise in, in NBA history in, in such a short time? I, absolutely, when you consider the fact that he, as you noted on Twitter, he didn't score for the first, like, two and a half minutes of yeah. the quarter. <laughs> I was and, scared. And then still I, I thought I had 30... been lied to. 
that would have been a large scale lie for the number <laughs> of people that were tweeting about it at the time. But yeah, I didn't. I have since rewatched the quarter, of course. But I, at the time, I wasn't watching. But I was on Twitter, and I when I started to see it, literally my tweet deck flowing so fast that I couldn't read a single tweet that was on it. I figured it was probably time to go ahead and turn the game on and caught the last little bit and then rewatched it. It was insane. You just don't see even in warmups. You don't see guys making having streaks like that. It's just it's nuts. Even for a guy like him, it's probably a once or twice in a lifetime kind of I'd thing. I'd say once. I yeah. mean, you look at all the great shooters who haven't had a quarter like Clay Thompson did. I think yeah. this is this is the high point. That being said, it was remarkable. Yeah, the little look off, the one where he pretended to call for a screen and then just kind of shot instead, <laughs> of, well, wait, instead of waiting for the screen to come over. That's when you know a guy's hot. He's just like, screw it. I'm not doing the play. I'm shooting. Yeah. Jimmer Fredette-esque there. Yeah. Um, and then two all-star notes. First of all, we talked about the dunk contest lineup a little bit. Uh, it's going to be Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, Victor Oladipo, uh, Mason Plumley, and then Zach Levine. That has been confirmed. Then they're also going back to the format of old that I think people are much bigger fans of, including yourself. Yes. Yeah, finally. I'm really glad that they did that this year because there's actually going to be a winner. Apparently, John Wall won last year, but nobody knows that. <laughs> nobody has any clue. Yeah. And I think those candidates are really good. I think people are underrating Plumlee. We said it last week. I, I do think Levine is the odds-on favorite to win it, but people are underrating the ferocity with which Miles Plumlee can dunk the ball. And I, For me, ferocity is a big part of that. I don't think ferocity translates that well in a dunk contest. True. I think you have to have the agility first, and then if you can finish it off with with a flourish, that's nice. The three-point contest, though, I think I'm looking forward to more because oh, I yeah. think it's the best three-point contest ever. You've got the Splash Brothers and Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. You've got Kyle Korver shooting literally better than anybody has in NBA history to this point, making a 50-50-90 season look easy. You've got Wesley Matthews, J.J. Redick in there as well. I mean, that's an incredible lineup of, of three-point talent. I, I, again, I don't think we've seen it before, before now. There just haven't been this many good three-point shooters in the league at the same time taking place in this contest. Yeah, I'm about as excited for the skills competition this year as I ever have been. It, it Probably more so, honestly, because, yeah, you're right. This is this three-point contest is going to be insane. There's going to be... Any of these guys could plausibly win quite easily, I think. And I, it's crazy that Wesley – I think Wesley Matthews is shooting like 42% from three or something like that this year. He's probably the biggest underdog in that group. Yeah, he's probably the worst three-point shooter in that group. Yeah, I mean, which it, is it's, insanity. It's incredible, yeah. All right, well, that was Around the NBA. Thanks again for joining us for that. We've got one more segment in today's show. Today was a big day in jazz history seven, or 15 years ago. We'll talk about what happened then. Sorry, 25 years ago. We'll talk about what happened then. Uh, next on Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the final segment of the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson. On the other side of the table is Ben Dowsett. We are the editors of saltcityhoops.com. You can always tweet us at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett. Dakota Schmidt, one of our writers, actually answered our trivia question we didn't, we, I guess we didn't mean it to be a trivia question, but he helped us out letting us know that Terrence Williams, Jeremy Lin, and Ramon Sessions are three guys who have had triple doubles uh, in both the D-League and the NBA. So, you know, I guess this Hassan Whiteside thing is not necessarily unprecedented. Not quite, but yeah, that's, you know, that's pretty remarkable regardless. And the fact that he did it with 12 blocks, was did, did Dakota specify? Was no. The, 
I'm guessing Jeremy Lin didn't get 12 blocks. Probably not, yeah. So I, and I'm guessing neither did Ramon Sessions. So <laughs> uh, very likely that none of those guys did it that way, and that's what that's kind of what the, the freakiest part about it was. Yeah, and there's no doubt. I mean, that's, that's just a ridiculous number of blocks. Yeah. Another unprecedented thing, like a tease going into the outro there, 25 years ago was Carl Malone's 61-point game. We just pulled up the box score on that, and the numbers are pretty incredible. So... Tell me what you found as far as whether or not anybody's ever done anything similar before. Okay, so nobody has ever scored 60 or more points on less than 31 field goal attempts, except for Carl, who did it in 26. So Carl Malone scored 61 points on 26 field goal attempts. Remember, th- this is without taking a three-point shot. So like that's, yeah. that's pretty impressive. 19 of 23 from the line. And then added in, you know, nine offensive rebounds, nine defensive rebounds to get the 18. Yeah. And now, now three we should steals, mention, too, just, you know, to put in some extra work on the defensive end. We should mention, I bet you Wilt did something like this early in his career, but a basketball reference only tracks back to 85, 86 for these numbers. Right. So, because non- they didn't keep track of number of shots. Exactly. Back then. They didn't take field goal attempts. So, I'm sure Wilt probably did something crazier than this, knowing what he was at the time and how much of a physical advantage he had over all other humans. But. Carl Malone, in terms of games where there were other humans on the court with him, <laughs> has the, okay. So nobody has done it in less than twenty six shots. And even if you take the points threshold down to fifty five, but keep the number of shots the same, only Michael Jordan is the only other one that ever did that in that few of a number of shots. And wow. of course, Michael Jordan could take three pointers, which Carl yeah. Malone didn't do. So that's a pretty big deal there. He's in extremely rare company, and only one guy ever did his particular blend with more rebounds, and that was Shaq. Who uh, who did that once in two thousand and two thousand? Even to th- that crazy two thousand year, he did have thirty five field goal attempts, but he put up sixty one points and twenty three rebounds, which is a decent little game. Yeah, that's that's nice. But Carmelone <laughs> A did it in thirty three minutes, which is impressive. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Shaq took forty five to do this to do that same one. So yeah, that's again that's impressive efficiency to be able to score that quickly in thirty three minutes. I mean that's that's two points a minute. Basically. Yeah. Basketball Reference does a thing called game score, which is kind of like a just an overall individual metric for the game of how much you contributed, and of those guys that have had. 60 or more points in less than 35 attempts, which is there's only eight instances of that ever happening in history. He has by far the highest game score of those guys, and that's because his efficiency was way, way higher than any of the rest of them. It really is one of the best games of all time. I mean, it's such that he scored 61 points, but everyone else on the team scored 83. Like, yeah. the Jazz won that game 144-96 against a decent Milwaukee Bucks team. They were 24-19 and at the time. So, you know, this was not them taking on a losing team and just dominating them. They they beat a winning team by 48 points on the back of Carl Malone's amazing performance. That's completely ridiculous. <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking at any of these box scores are ridiculous. I mean, LeBron had 61-7-4 in, in... That was last year. That was against Charlotte. Yeah. That was, I can't even believe that I watched that game. But, <laughs> but then, again, Carl Malone did it in fewer minutes and had more rebounds, helped on both the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. I mean, I... I I still don't think enough people realize what he did. And I guess, sure, he's the number two point scorer in NBA history, and that's uh, people know that. But when you look at like the individual games, the individual moments of brilliance for Carmelone, I don't think they get talked about enough. Yeah, I would totally agree. And I think part of the reason for that is just because of how amazingly consistent he was. You think of him more as a consistent player than the type of guy who could just all of a sudden explode for a game like that. But he absolutely could, and we're, we're looking at it. I'd be interested. I haven't gone back and checked what his 
maybe some of his other exploits are in in terms of his <laughs> biggest games like that. Speaking of big games, by the way, just real quick, we mentioned Clay Thompson before the break and his points in a quarter. So he's got 15 points in six minutes of what? the current quarter that's going on. He's <laughs> six of seven from the field, three of three from three. Oh. So just another day at the oh, office Clay. for Clay Thompson, apparently. At least he missed a shot this time. But he's now just missed two, just barely oh, missed okay. a second. So. He is showing signs of mortality, but still, we will take 15 points in six minutes from you, Mr. Clay Thompson. Good Lord. I mean, that team and that guy are just ridiculously incredible. If he keeps it up like this, he's honestly going to get MVP talk. He's not going to uh, win, but he's going to get talk. Yeah, I mean, there's Steph on his team, and I think everyone's going to vote for the Steph, right? Yeah, yeah oh yeah, and, Steph, and Steph's the front runner right now, but they're so good, and he pr- contributes so much that I think there's at least going to be that throng of Warriors fans who somehow still feels like their team is underappreciated, which is completely ridiculous, but they're going to, why isn't Clay being considered? He should but, be second. But, but, I mean, they don't vote for MVP. It's very true. I, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, he's probably one of the top 15 players in the league right now, don't get me wrong. But I I don't think that he's I'm maybe I, I think that may even be overstating his case. He may Probably be top is. twenty, top twenty five. Like, yeah. And one sorry guys, one real quick back update on from Dakota again saying he believes Fab Mello is the lone D leaguer to have a triple double with blocks when he had fourteen blocks in twenty thirteen. So okay. thank you to Dakota for the information. But that was in the D League, wasn't it? I'm we'll not sure. I'm, yeah, I'm going off to Dakota. Dakota, let's let's keep on talking. All right. Um we've only got a couple minutes left in the show, but uh, upcoming schedule for this week, the next three, the four games, five games, I just keep looking down the schedule, and it gets tougher and tougher for the Utah Jazz. Tomorrow, Los Angeles Clippers, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin come to town. Yeah, and the Clippers, as I've said before on this program, are the type of team that just is a terrible matchup for the Jazz in every way. The Clippers blow out non-playoff teams. It's just what they do. They've got a uh, just the type of roster that when they, when they play a team that isn't as skilled as them, they have such a huge dominant advantage. I, it's going to be really, really tough. If the Jazz can keep that game close, I'll be impressed, which I think they did last time until the fourth quarter, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it'll, and then they have to play through that, I guess, and yeah. keep it close all the way through. They, yeah. Put together, I guess, not 48 minutes of good basketball because, honestly, that wins you the game. But if you can do 36 minutes of good basketball and then 12 minutes of adequate basketball, that would be that would be nice to see. There have yeah. been too many times when the Jazz have been outright poor. Yeah. Then Friday they take on the best team in the league, Golden State. We've just been talking about them. They have incredible weapons that, honestly, no team in the league right now is stopping, let alone the Jazz. Yep. And yeah, they're uh, again. <laughs> I said it all. <laughs> staying close in that game would be a major accomplishment. Yep. Then they go on the road Tuesday, February third, play the Portland Trailblazers again. An incredible offensive team that has a lot of weapons. Uh, less good than Golden State, but on the road, I again hugely difficult. The Jazz at least have a couple of days before they get there. They're going to be rested and whatnot, but that better not translate to any kind of uh, any kind of rust coming out of the gate, because if you have any of that, you're going to get down 10 or 15 before you know what's going on, and then it's going to be it's... a real uphill climb from there. Yep, and then playing Memphis the next night at home. Again, back-to-back. The Jazz beat Memphis on a back-to-back earlier this season. This one's at home. I, I, you know, maybe they have a chance at this, but it's still, it's still going to be difficult. And don't think Memphis isn't aware that the last time these teams played, that the Jazz stole a win from them in a, in a Western Conference where you can't have teams like the Jazz stealing wins from you if you're trying to get your playoff seed and whatnot. They're going to remember that. It's going to be a really tough one for so, sure. So 0 4 over the next week. <sighs> Probably. I mean, five one, game losing streak. One one win would be not. I don't think one win's impossible. I think Portland or no, Memphis would be your better chance there. And I guess they conceivably, if the Clippers just go really cold. They could beat the Clippers. It's not impossible. I, 
I see almost no way they can beat Golden State even at home. Golden, they're just again the matchup type thing. They're just too good. Yeah, they are just incredible. All right, well that's another show. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. As always, you can follow us online at saltcityhoops.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett for Mr. Ben here. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, check us out if you haven't. This podcast is on iTunes, Stitchers, ESPN700sports.com, so you can check out anything you've missed. It's another great episode of the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700.